Hello, everybody. Why so quiet? Don't act like y'all listening. It's like, no. Um, before I preach, I do just want to say a couple things. Um, first, thank you for the opportunity, Joe. Um, as, as with all the sermons, uh, make sure you are uh, taking notes. Uh, make sure you're studying. Oh, my mama just walked through the door. Wow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> make sure you're taking notes. Make sure you're studying. Make sure you go back and listen to um, the sermon. Make sure you go to community group, right? These are some good things that helps with, um, help with you, help you. Yep, all that good stuff. All right. Huh? Right, right. <laughs> Turn with me to Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Again, as Charles said, I'm going to be preaching with uh, the subject title. or well, not the subject title, but on the title, Mighty God. Y'all got it? Y'all can feel free to talk back to me. Like, I don't know if I'm not loud enough or I'm speaking another language. Do you guys have the scripture text? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You said, do I? Oh, does anybody need a Bible? You can raise your hand if you need one. It's one over here. Anybody else? I need a Bible. Say, no, I'm joking. <clears throat> All right, it says, um, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Before I pray, um... I just want to say I was encouraged as Joel was praying earlier uh, during our corporate prayer. And as he was mentioning just like the state of the area, state of Baltimore City, when you think of the drugs, uh, when you consider the death, when you consider the persecution of the saints, uh, when you consider uh, abandonment, all these different things that may appear uh, that our God is not mighty. Um, We have hope in that one day. All will be restored. Uh, Yeah, so let us pray. Can you turn me down a little bit before I pray? I'm sorry, I'm just kind of loud. I'm scaring myself. There we go. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together where we can look into your word, Lord God, and uh, learn about your son Christ, uh, where we can glorify you and at the same time be edified. I pray that we will be encouraged to trust, put our, our, our faith inside of the mighty God, the Holy One of Israel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so this sermon can be viewed two ways, depending on how you look at it, horizontally and vertically. So if we're looking at it vertically, which is and should always be the uh, basis for our horizontal view, We can call this sermon Mark's 
of a mighty God. Everybody, everybody, not everybody, because I don't need to take notes sometimes. But y'all taking notes? All right, cool. Marks of a mighty God, if we're looking at it vertically, uh, or, or what constitutes a mighty God. Now, based on Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 6, this coming Holy One of Israel has to be both mighty in a way that no king in Israel has ever been before, and not only that, he has to display this might in a way that only a God can. Looking vertically as, uh, uh, I'm sorry, looking horizontally, horizontally as encouragement um, regarding practical points of application, we could name this sermon fighting with fear or fighting in faith, which will make more sense in a little bit. So let's, let's get this sermon some context. Uh, the scripture testifies little to the life of Isaiah. However, he is considered one of the greatest prophets ever. He prophesies with both great detail, uh, uh, both literally and typically. He had an amazing yet weighty duty carried by the grace of God as he heralded a plan in a wicked land that revealed the heart of a mighty God. Now, in our time together, we're going to look at this mighty God through both a political and a spiritual lens because Isaiah had both influences in his writing. So let's understand our context a little, a little bit more. Um, when you consider the kingdom of Israel, it was at one point in time, one kingdom, it was united. Um, but after the reign of King Solomon, it split because the northern tribes refused to accept Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, as their king. That's how southern Israel became Judah. All right, so y'all got it was one kingdom, and then after... Solomon's reign, the northern tribes didn't want to serve Rehoboam, so they, they, kept, they stayed Israel. The southern part became Judah. And Judah is where Isaiah lived, all right? Now, during the time of Isaiah, Assyria was the most dominant and most feared power in the land. And as a result, those who feared them began to take on its customs, including Israel and Judah. Not only that, but they had become prideful and began to look within themselves to win battles. Now, Isaiah lived in Judah from the mid-8th century B.C. During this time, four kings had transitioned in and out during his writing. King Isaiah, then Isaiah's son, Jotham, then his son, Ahab, and then, his grand, then the grandson, Hezekiah. This may sound familiar for some of y'all. In the year that King Isaiah died, who was the witch king during Isaiah's time? Good, somebody, two people paying attention. <laughs> In the year that the first king during Isaiah's time, King Isaiah had died, that's when Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6 high and lifted up. So it was after the downfall of this first king of the four kings that Isaiah saw the rise of a holy and mighty king. All right? All right, so the holy one of Israel, as Isaiah calls him. This is how and where his ministry of preaching repentance in Israel began. Now, let's look at the four earthly kings real quick. Isaiah was 16 when he took to the throne uh, from his father, and he was one of the good kings of Israel. He was intelligent, innovative, prosperous, but eventually died of leprosy for disobeying God, and his son Jotham in inherited the king after him at age 25. Jotham is credited with building the upper wall of Jerusalem. His army won many battles under his reign, but the corruption of northern Israel began to creep in the kingdom of Judah. 
after Jotham's, uh, Jotham's reign, anybody know who the, the third king was? No? <laughs> y'all, better go, y'all better stop cursing the church. <laughs> I had took the throne at age 20. You got to say it that way so you won't. Many of Isaiah's rebukes was to, listen, listen, many of Isaiah's rebukes was toward Ahaz because of his idolatry. He joined forces with Assyria, who was the enemy, and began to usher in their idol uh, worship in Judah. He was so wicked that when he died, they decided not to bury him with his predecessor. Now, after him was his son, y'all better go ahead now, Hezekiah. It wasn't Hezekiah Walker. All right. Hezekiah inherited the throne when he was 25, and he's known for actually trying to restore the worship of God in Judah. At the same time, though, he was prideful. Needless to say, being a mortal man, he grew sick and called on Isaiah for prayer, who warned him of his death. Um, after, after that, he pleaded with God for a longer life, and God restored his health. I say all that to say, we have four kings on the throne in Isaiah's time who displayed their might and their own wisdom. You have mighty man, and then there's mighty God, all right? So I just wanted to do a a contrast real quick. So today I want to look at the scriptures and identify a few marks of a mighty God, all right? I'm almost done, y'all. Look at that. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) All right. Mark number one. A mighty God's might is just. A mighty God's might is just. Isaiah 9, 7 says, he will reign on David's throne, right, and over his kingdom, establishing, and over, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. Key words being justice and righteousness, right? All right. We live in such a fallen world that even our idea and practice of might is skewed. When it comes to fallen man, Might for us is nothing more than a false sense of toughness driven by fear. We are walking contradictions in that we try and portray fearlessness that is actually being driven by fear. And oftentimes, it's fear of being seen as weak or inadequate. Now, I was preparing this sermon, right? And I wasn't ear hustling, but this guy was just loud, walking by my window. And I had a whole conversation, and I technically didn't need to. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was talking about a video game. All right? All right, so I'm studying, and I hear, he always want to fight everybody. Man, kill him. I don't fight because I got the blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, hold on, wait a minute. Now, I'm not an advocate for fighting or solving your problems by fighting. And I'm just making an observation. But we live in a time where we resort to weapons out of fear of losing a physical battle. Killing, taking the life of God's creation has become first option nowadays. Now, literally after making a note of mentioning this for, uh, 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 on Sunday, a note of mentioning this, I took a break from sermon prep to walk my dog, right? Now it's nighttime, but I wasn't tripping because I live in one of the best neighborhoods in Baltimore City, right? <laughs> So as I'm walking my dog, a brother, maybe 25, walked up to me. It's like, hey, yo. It's like, wait a Hold on. It's nighttime. You got the hood on. So, you know, I ain't tripping. You know, I grew up in the hood. Maybe, you know, it's, it's another young brother approaching me. I'm like, I ain't going, you know. So I'm like, what's good? 
He was like, you ever been to work, blah, blah, blah? And I can't really, this is random for me. So I'm trying to make sense of what he's doing. I'm like, you asked me, do I work? Yeah, I work. He's like, no, 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 listen. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he said, he said, what would you do if you was at work and uh, you work with this girl and, and you leave and, and, and she makes up this story that you harassed her and when you get back, her brother's there and her mother's there um, and he just went on and on and talking about how uh, uh, he didn't want to appear to be a type of punk. So he said the guy approached him and he said, man, you need to be talking to her. She lying, blah, blah, blah. Ended up bumping the guy and bumping the mother. Then afterward, the guy came out uh, uh, from his job. And um, he said, yeah, man, and I, you know, I, I told him, man, you know what? I'm going to get somebody to beat her up because the girl got to beat her up. She's just like me. After they fight, after, after she fight, she kill him. So I, and I put the, the gun on the, on the car and, you know, I, this is not a movie. <laughs> this really happened. <laughs> I put the gun on the car and told him, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, man, because every time I go on my job, I feel like an outsider. Everybody looking at me, blah, 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 blah. Ran, look, look, he looked like he no more than 20, 25 years old. So I told him, I said, uh, uh, just because you may be fearless, right? I said, or aren't afraid to do something, or just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I told him, I said, I'm a teacher, and I tell my students all the time, uh, which is usually after the fight has already taken place. Reconciliation doesn't make you tough. And really, that's not fearlessness because it's driven by fear. I told him, I said, now having self-control, that's tough. Because you're able to do something, something that oftentimes feels justified, but, not, but choosing not to do it instead. And not many people can do that. I told him, I said, I said think about your son, because he mentioned that he had a young son. And that was my point of connection with him. I said, I said, think about your freedom, think about your job. Now, I still feel like I failed him, right? Because after I left him, I mean, uh, uh, um, after I was finished, he was like, thanks, man. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till I'm off the premises, because I know where he be at. And I'm going to go up to I was like, be safe, man. All right, now. It's like, oh, they just... But, but walking away, all the good stuff that I should have said and could have said finally started to want to come to me, right? It's like in a moment, you may not have all the words to say, but right after, you start thinking, man, I should have said that. I should have hit him with the, God said. So my gospel defibrillator started heating up after he had already left, right? So, but in all seriousness, I asked God, I said, why? I said, I said what do I say when I don't know what to say to people? And it hit me. Tell them the truth. All right? Right? Uh, uh, don't you know those statements that pop in your head at the front of your mind as you're preparing to respond to somebody? Those statements that you waste all your time trying to find a less offensive way to say it. And then you look up and the conversation over. Just say that. Like, right? But it's that fear, the same thing I'm talking to him about, it crippled me. <laughs> right? And it's always like when I'm preparing a sermon that I get tested to believe what I'm about to preach. But let's get back to the point. Even in the Old Testament, earthly kings had earthly fears. To name a few, in 1 Samuel, King David feared Saul. 1 Kings, clearly Solomon feared monogamy. And kings, uh, I mean, a bunch of kings in Israel feared the king of Assyria. But Christ, this mighty God that Isaiah is prophesying about, will be fearless. Reigning with justice and righteousness. 
didn't fear men when he preached a ground-shaking message that, there, that, that uh, he was the only hope of salvation, uh, didn't fear the Roman government, didn't fear death, and, and his might isn't a selfish might. It isn't merely to say, look what I'm capable of. But looking at sinful man, we see that his might is, in fact, warranted. And because he is the Holy One of Israel, we see that his might is, in fact, just. Israel and Judah were both under the Mosaic law. God gave uh, Israel the law to show them uh, uh, what sin was, not only that, but to show them their sin. He also gave it to them to show them what they could, uh, show them that they could not keep his law. His prophets revealed to them the consequence of their sin, which is uh, God's just wrath. In light of Israel's incapability and God's wrath, the law pointed them to the prophesied Holy One of Israel. This king who will come and rebuild Israel by God's grace, restoring a people who deserve to be destroyed. So not only is uh, a mighty God's might just, but a mighty God's uh, uh, might justifies. Which brings me to my second point, a mighty God is to be feared. Let me take a sip of this, this water. Isaiah 8, 11 through 13. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand. Wait, what? For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, of this people, saying, do not conspire, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. 33, 6 says, He will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Again, Israel and Judah were both under the Mosaic law, but didn't keep it. uh, Prophets prophesied about the coming wrath because of their disobedience. Many continued in sin. Others tried to save themselves by their work. I think of King Isaiah, who literally made himself a priest, right, went into the temple Uh, The the office sacrifices um, got upset because priests were complaining about this, and um, he died of leprosy. God struck him with leprosy for his uh, disobedience. Um, But isn't that how we do it, right? Our first response to fear is, what can I do to prevent my fear from becoming true? Even if we pray, we get right back up from praying and go back, looking into our own strength, driven by fear, and often leading us to selfish solutions. I didn't grow up in the best neighborhood, um, but my mama gave me this nice piece of advice when I was younger, right? When it, come to, when it came to facing my fear, she said, uh, when you fight, take your fist, <laughs> ball it up real tight. Don't even remember that you told me. She said, ball your fist up real tight, and when you hit them, don't stop hitting them. <laughs> right? I tell you, that almost landed me in jail one time. <laughs> it worked, but I almost did some time behind her. She went on to say, even if you are afraid, take your fist, you know, ball it, do it. Because fear, when you fear, that's when uh, your adrenaline kicks in. Now, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like my mom, the only one who know that piece of advice. And your fear is what drives you. That's the part that stuck with me. So my question for us today is, what is compelling you to feel powerful? When you feel the strongest, what are you fearing? Are you fearing? Is it God 
or when you are feeling brave because you have love, is it because you fear being lonely? When you're sitting down planning for your future and you feel unstoppable, is it because you trust God or do you fear having less than enough? Your fear is what drives you. What you fear is what drives your sense of might. And to some degree, I think that by God's grace, he allows us to be motivated by fear. Whether it's your fear of being set out or on the street or without food that leads us to work in a job. Your fear of purposelessness that leads us to dream. But we have to be careful what we fear because as the nation of Israel clearly shows us in the scriptures, if we're not trusting in, our, in, in the mighty God, our fear could easily lead us to idol worship. Assyria had the most powerful king in that day, a worldly king who invo- invoked worldly fear. A fear, uh, uh, by the way, that leads to failure. Nations would, would, would fear Assyria and eventually adopt its evil. King Ahaz was pressured by the Israelite king to join forces against the king of uh, Assyria, but King Ahaz thought it would be best to side with him, a decision that Isaiah condemned in chapter 7. Eventually, he began welcoming, King Ahaz began uh, welcoming the idol worship of Assyria into his nation. But the fear of a mighty God doesn't lead to failure. It leads to holiness. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Which leads me to my third point, uh, and my final point. Those in a mighty God's kingdom are more than conquerors. All right. That's, thank you, Tony. Isaiah warned King Ahaz to put his trust in God when facing Jerusalem. God, through Isaiah, uh, told Ahaz to not be afraid, right? Don't fear, but trust me, I got you. But guess what Ahaz did? He refused it, right? The same principle applies to the people of God today. Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you stand firm in your faith, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So once we begin to see how weak we are apart from Christ and that we are not the kings of our hearts, we begin to trust God for the sustenation of our lives. Because of Christ's might, we are more than conquerors. So be encouraged because a, a sign of his might in our lives is the fact that we bear fruit, both as a body and in our individual lives. I was just having a conversation with my mom um, the other day about something that I just don't do no more. Not in my own strength, but because of God's mighty design of sanctification that works through the church. I, I'm thankful for uh, the brothers that I can call on. I, I literally, I literally, I may have not uh, uh, spoken about personal matters with every brother in this church, but I literally can't think of one brother that I can't call on because I'm, I'm scared I might be rejected by him. And that's a good thing, right? Um, and I praise God for it. Think about it. In this life, as the Bible says, who shall we as the people of God fear? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, Romans 8 doesn't say that we won't face opposition. But at the end of the day, the ops don't matter in the grand scheme of things. So what does this mean for us, the church? The one that Isaiah prophesied about actually came. And we know the power of his might. Not only that, but we have the power of his might. Love displayed on a cross for us as he bore God's mighty wrath rising from the grave in his might, 
calling those who are weak and tired of pretending. What does that mean for the world, for the lost? It means you are an enemy of God. Hear me. Lest you put your trust in Christ and surrender now, you will be crushed and know the might and the wrath of a holy God. How can a weak man learn to fear the, might, uh, or fear the mighty God and become more than a conqueror? First, you've got to place your trust in Christ. Christ's death on the cross and his miraculous resurrection showed us his might. And when you're weak, my friend, he is strong. One day we will physically see him in his might when he comes. The mighty God will pluck up his vineyard. The wild grapes will be no more. And woe to those who are wise and mighty in their own eyes. Woe to those who are puffed up but are actually filled with nothing more than hot air. When you face opposition, face it with an attitude that says, I'm a servant of the almighty God. Humble, yet at the same time knowing that every trial is an opportunity for your mighty God to flex his might. And even if it appears to be a loss, my brothers and sisters, as it oftentimes will, our attitude, our joy, our unbreakableness, and our perseverance are are signs that the war is already won. Might does not mean the absence of momentary loss. For a moment, it appeared that Christ himself had been defeated. But it was Christ rising from the grave that we are able to know him to be a mighty God. If Christ could not defeat death, we have no hope. If Christ had not given you grace in times of temptation, you would not know his might. Remember the old you and how messed up you are. You were. Some of us might be. If Christ had not saved that, you would not know him to be a mighty God. I'm going to close with this. I was scrolling on Facebook and I saw a status that said, Man, I feel like if I don't talk and tell folk about Jesus, I'm going to cry. <laughs> so I'm be straight up. I hope there wasn't nobody in the church. I'm going to be straight up. I scrolled down looking for the good news, and I wasn't looking for the gospel. I was looking for, like, I found $5. I just, you know, uh, 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 passed my test, something like that. And it was a job opportunity. Now, don't get it twisted. What I'm not saying is that these things are not signs of God's might. And yes, we should testify about them. But our motivation for telling us about Jesus should have deeper roots than that. What is there to say for our brothers and sisters in third world countries who have the bread of life but die from starvation? Our brothers and sisters who have the gospel of peace but die from the sword? Is God not mighty for them? I've noticed, and maybe you did too, that in America we have a common practice of, uh, of serving God because he serves us temporarily. I'll submit because you can help me live my best life, the abundant life. So, of course, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to praise you because you're, you're helping me out, right? And then our good news that we are spreading is only as good as our current victory or our temporal win. And in turn, we end up evangelizing, discipling, and creating new converts who only repeat the cycle, expecting to know a God who can satisfy me temporarily, not having any root. And as soon as the, 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 the persecution and the trials come along, they get plucked right up, right? Because they weren't founded on the gospel. And heaven is just the icing on the cake because, I mean, who really wants to go to hell? So what is there to say for our less fortunate brothers and sisters? Do they know the might of a good God? Well, let me turn the tables a bit. 
Are you able to put your faith into God if the only way he chose to display his might was eternally through the conquering of sin? When God appeared uh, 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 um, mightless before men in Job's day, God's might was present on Job's lips when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God's might was present in prison when Joseph interpreted prisoners' dreams. It was present for Paul when he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I could go back to having a conversation with the young brother on the corner who came up to me while I was walking my dog, I'll be straight up. I wouldn't let trying to find relatability or commonality take precedence in my proclamation over truth. I would say, hey man, look, <clears throat> I'm preparing to preach this, this sermon Sunday, right? <clears throat> and it's about a man named Jesus who was fearless. It don't get no tougher than him. His dad sent him into a world full of chaos to save that world. Talk about a tough task. He walked amongst those people, did the nicest things for those people, yet still they rejected him and looked at him like he was an outsider. He was so fearless that he didn't give in to the sins that he came into the world to save them from. So fearless, bruh. He laid his own life, his own physical life down in exchange for the eternal life of those his dad would have destroyed. People like you and me. But listen, bro. He's so fearless, so tough, so mighty that he did not stay in the grave. Three days later, he proved his might to mankind by miraculously rising from the grave, proving he's mightier than death and that even death isn't to be feared. Bruh, all who believe in his name are invited to fear him and drop all other fears. Because we're weak, but he's tough. And being seen as weak or inadequate isn't to be feared. He is. But unfortunately, I can't go back. But that's not the point. The point is this. I got a chance to say it today. Let us pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of restoring your creation to its uh, original state, dear Heavenly Father. Uh, I pray for the opportunity to be able to proclaim your might here today. Um, I pray that we would be people um, who put our trust in you, people who fear God, uh, people who don't fear man. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we will walk alongside one another, dear Heavenly Father. Um, and help us become all that you have designed us to be. Uh, for it's in Christ's name I do pray, saying thank you and amen.